For more than a year, ominous rumors had been privately circulating among high-level Western leaders that the Soviet Union had been at work on what was darkly hinted to be the ultimate weapon, a doomsday device. Intelligence sources traced the site of the top-secret Russian project to the perpetually fog-shrouded wasteland below the Arctic peaks of the Zokov Islands. What they were building, or why it should be located in such a remote and desolate place, no one could say. Hello and welcome to the Dead Letter Movie Podcast. This is episode 80, recorded Sunday, June 11th, 2023. I'm Tim. I'm Andrew. And welcome to our 2023 summer series, The Atomic Summer. Yes. We've we've got a, a decent list of, of themed films here, uh, and mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're going to talk about that as, as kind of a through line in light of some... Uh, some new material coming out later this summer, which will will be on the list. But to kick things off, we are starting with 1964, Stanley Kubrick's Doctor Strange Love, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Yeah, I've, uh, I think in one of the trailers, I really like the way they 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 say the whole title in one of the like or it's like and love the bomb. <laughs> That's what I think of every time I say the whole thing out. Yeah, yeah. Some of those those early Kubrick film trailers were weird in in ways yeah, it was the times and yeah, a lot it of was. ways yeah movie trailers used to be just different and and yeah sometimes i sometimes i kind of wish we did that but oh well here we are anyway so yeah this is atomic summer we are going to be going through a number of atomic age movies or movies having to deal with the bomb in some regard we could be talking about uh, the history of the atomic bomb and all that and we probably will as we go through but in order to get this series up and going, we started to go. We decided to go with something a little bit lighter than the <laughs> darker things. So we're going to start with with Kubrick's seventh film here. Um, yeah, so we we yeah. kind of split the difference here because it's it's a comedy, but it's a dark comedy, and mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm a fan of this. When was the first time you saw this movie? Do you remember? Uh, I I don't remember precisely. This would have been around summer of '97 or maybe '98. For me, so it's it's been a little while, and I've seen it a couple of times since, and, and I I watched it again ahead of uh, recording this, but it it had been a while since the last time before that. Yeah, me as well. I I think I saw this around the same time, um, not with you, um, but in yeah. in ninety seven or ninety eight. I actually um the the town we grew up in actually had a Cold War film festival one year. I don't remember if it was in the summer or if it was in the spring, but it happened. And this was the only movie I saw in that in that festival. Um, it was the only one I was like particularly interested in, and because I probably didn't even know what the other movies were to be honest. But <laughs> I was like twelve or thirteen, depending. And yeah, yeah. yeah, so so I got to see the first time I saw this properly. I did get to see this not exactly in a cinema, but in like a civic center with <laughs> with a, well, a theater with uh, yeah. with. Yeah. Uh, with projection and everything. So that was kind of, that was pretty cool. You know, it's been one of my favorite com- like dark comedies. I'm growing up. Um, I haven't seen it since Criterion put out the Blu-ray. So it was kind of fun to sit down again and watch it. And yeah. And so like, was this, this was not your first Kubrick movie though. You were uh, right. That's, that is true. As, as far as I can remember, I am pretty sure that I saw 2001 a space odyssey before I saw this. Yeah. Uh, the other day at work, one of our students was, was reading 2001, um, the not exactly novelization, but kind of novelization. Kind of um, sort of the, the, the Arthur yeah. C. Clarke. Yeah. The, the, the Arthur book. C. Clarke book. And I was like, and I was like, oh, this is how kids get into the, like, into the Stanley Kubrick. This is Gateway Kubrick. And, and, and I don't the, know that it is. No, no. And here's the thing. The dean was like, is it really? And I was like, well, you know, it's like, 
it's yeah. relatively pleasant. It's not like that bad. And like, well, and then I asked, well, what was what was your gateway Kubrick? And it turned out it was also my gateway Kubrick, which was a Clockwork Orange. Um, wow. And I, sh- I should maintain that the 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 dean of my school is like a blonde lady who you would think would be very not into a Clockwork Orange. Not like she would be like upset about it. It's not not like that. It was just like when I found out that she like got into Stanley Kubrick through a Clockwork Orange, I was not what I would have expected at all. So don't judge books by, by the cover kids. Anyway, so yeah, uh, Clockwork Orange was what I saw before. Um, but like that was in like seventh grade um, was before I saw Dr. Strange. Love. I know that for sure. Um, and, and yeah, I, around the time I probably saw the first, you know, the good chunk of full metal jacket, but I think I saw Dr. Strange love before, but yeah. So in this, and then a couple years later, eyes white shut would come out in his last movie. So, yep. So, all right. So before we get into this, I'm going to cover the context or the project why of it all. As a wing confirmed holding at their fail safe points. Yes, sir. The confirmation of all just come in. Very well. Now listen to me carefully. The base is being put on condition red. I want this flash to all sections immediately. Condition red, say yes. Jolly good idea. I keep the men on their toes. Group captain, I'm afraid this is not an exercise. Not an exercise, sir. I shouldn't tell you this, man, Drake, but you're a good officer and you have a right to know. It looks like we're in a shooting war. Oh, hell. Yeah, here we go. Um, so, yeah, so the context is, so this is Stanley Kubrick's seventh movie, and this is the movie after Lolita, which had Peter Sellers in it. And Sellers had, in that movie, plays Claire Quilty, who is kind of like a, I don't know, he's kind of a kind of a slimy type, I'm not going to lie. But to be fair, most of the men in Lolita are slimy types. Um, yeah. <laughs> James Mason, especially. So... Yeah, um, but yeah, the in that particular in that version, Sellers plays um, Quir- uh, Sellers plays Quilty, but also at one point plays this school psychologist character who is also like it's like I think it's like Doctor Zimf or something. So it's a German character, and so kind of feels like a kind of a rough draft on Strange Love, titular Strange Love in this particular case. Um, and so that's how him and Kubrick started working together. And the movie Kubrick would do after this would be 2001. And so like I was, before we recorded, I was telling Tim that like in my mind, I thought of this as an early Kubrick film, but it being like the seventh movie, it kind of isn't. And I think the reason why I think that is because this is sort of like the first Stanley Kubrick movie. When you think of Stanley Kubrick as a genre, this is one of those, one of the first movies that's like that. As much as I love The Killing, which is my favorite Kubrick movie, um, it isn't as Kubricky as, say, The Shining or Clockwork Orange. And so this is the first time you finally get that like Kubrick feel to it. And Kubrick yeah. had gotten his start doing Look Magazine photo- uh, f- photographs. And the, just this weekend, I went to a bookstore and there's actually a like a book of his photographs that just got published. And I was able to like look at a spread that he did for Montgomery Clift. And it was like really interesting because it's like you can kind of see that Kubrick eye to it. And apparently Montgomery Clift and Kevin McCarthy from Body Snatchers were friends. Um, Uh It's like, yeah, like him and Clift are just like hanging out in McCarthy's house in this like Stanley Kubrick photographed thing. Yeah, (laughs) it was in Look Magazine. Yeah, it's uh, worth checking out if you're in a, I don't know if you want to buy a coffee table book of Stanley Kubrick books, I mean, Stanley Kubrick photographs, but neat thing to look at. This is based off of a book called Red Alert by a guy named Peter George. And and it's basically the plot um, that we see in the movie um, where like some bombers are going to go and bomb Russia and they're not supposed to. And 
it's a problem <laughs> and mm-hmm. the president has to deal with it. The book is not funny, really. It's a serious thriller type. And but Peter George does work on this work on the screenplay. And when he when they had gotten it together, um, Kubrick had had a longtime producer, um, James Harris, who di- who did the killing and also Paths of Glory. And they um, Harris thought it should be a serious movie. But then Kubrick was seeing like the chance for comedy in it. And that's kind of like where the two of them split about this. And then Harris would actually go on to make his own little Cold War serious movie as well. This is all just kind of like background stuff. I should probably take a moment to realize this is kind of Kubrick's only comedy. Yeah. There are funny moments in other movies, but I wouldn't ever call them comedies. This is pretty much the only one that in the Dead Letter video store is the only one I'm going to put in the comedy section. Yeah, have to agree. Yeah, and that is because of the work of Terry Southern. And so Terry Southern came in and he is a, he's a writer from Texas, but he's a he's a satirist. He also wrote this book called The Magic Christian, which was later adapted into a movie also with Peter Sellers. Um, that movie is really weird. Ringo Starr is in it as well. It is very much of its time. Um, Just in I, case this movie wasn't weird enough for you. Oh, uh, no, it is like it's yeah, it is way weirder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It has like Yul Brynner singing Mad About the Boy, I think, in drag. Um, it's a strange movie. Um, yeah. None, oh, and wow. Yeah. And I think Christopher Lee is in it as Dracula, but it's not a Dracula. It's yeah, it's very, very strange. So. Red Alert is the thing I, pro- I I should talk about because there's also this other movie that and book that came out around the same time called Failsafe. Now, Failsafe has a similar story where it's about the so bombers are going to attack a Russia when they shouldn't be and the president has to deal with it. Um, more or less the same plot. This is a deep impact Armageddon situation. And so Kubrick gets wind of this. He has the rights to Red Alert, sues um, the folks making Failsafe, um, wins... And because of that, Columbia, the studio that puts Strangelove out, ends up buying Failsafe and holds on to it for a few months. And this is the whole reason why Kubrick got it is because he thought it would hurt the box office of, of, uh, of Strangelove. Strangelove comes out in January of 1964 um, and Failsafe comes out in like August. And he was right. So <laughs> Failsafe does not make as much money, maybe just as critically acclaimed, maybe. Um, but yeah, it's uh, definitely of the two that went out. This is the Armageddon of the situation. Um, no one ever talks about Deep Impact. We, we talk about Armageddon. Um, oh, be- yeah. people talk about Deep Impact a little. Yeah, bit. but it's not, not, still... not as much. Not as much. Yeah. Um, and it should be noted that like failsafe isn't funny. So I think that's kind of part of it as well. Um, but yeah. And so that's kind of going into into all of this. We have Peter Sellers playing three different roles here, but we we, we can talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And um, so this movie is dealing with uh, Kubrick kind of got into this idea because he started getting worried he was get blown up by the H-bomb one day. And so that's kind of what fed into this. So, yeah, I guess let's uh, let's jump into yep. it. I can no longer sit back and allow communist infiltration, communist indoctrination, communist subversion and the international communist conspiracy to sap and impurify all of our precious bodily fluids. We have Peter Sellers and George C. Scott and Peter Sellers and Keenan Wynn and Peter Sellers. Ah, but you're forgetting Sterling Hayden. Sterling Hayden and Anselm Pickens, a very young James Earl Jones with a handful of lines. His first movie. Yeah. I had to double check that that was for sure, but yeah. So Sterling Hayden... Is the whole reason why this movie happens. 
So Sterling Hayden is a, uh, I don't know what the, what to call this, but he's like a anti-fluorination fluoridation yes yeah anti-fluoridation fluoridation guy um as it turns out we don't know that at first but we we eventually learned that um and so he decides that um war shouldn't be decided by the politicians it should be decided by the generals and so he sends out a fake order for plan r and plan r is go attack russia (laughs) um like the president has most like has been killed or can't communicate you need to go get russia and so that gets communicated to all the airplanes that are just circling around Russia to make the Cold War hot is basically the idea of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think it's interesting that the first person we see is RAF executive officer Mandrake, um, Peter Sellers. Like he's the first human we see. The movie starts out with this like crawl that maybe we should have read. It would have been funny if we did. But um, <laughs> uh, uh, it starts off with like, you know, engine, like a, two planes being refueled and stuff like that. But the first person we see is is Peter Sellers. And then soon after that, we see we get on the phone with Sterling Hayden, who explains this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And Hayden has this whole thing about how the communists are going to get us and this By zapping our precious, precious bodily, bodily fluids. fluids. Yes. Um, and fluoride has something to do with this. Um, it is not unlike QAnon kind of stuff now. Um, that's the, th- like, it, it's funny because like the last time I watched this, like I didn't have that conspiracy series stuff in my head, but <laughs> there it was again. I'm yep. like, wow. And there, I mean, and people, and there are people who have concerns about fluoride. I like not having more cavities, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so we basically go between three places in this. We have um, we have the bomber, we mm-hmm. have the the Air Force base where Sterling Hayden is, and we have the war room where two Peter's sellers, uh, where, there, where two other Peter sellers are. Mm-hmm. Also George C. Scott and also the- George C. Scott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's he's kind of the only other name person. I don't know the name of the guy who does. Um, ambassador kiss off but also an important person but like who's who's in a big chunk of the movie so slim pickens apparently was his character actually was supposed to be played by peter sellers originally but sellers didn't think he could pull off a texan accent um for one thing and then he hurt himself and couldn't like do couldn't like what wasn't able to schedule that part of things um, and so Slim Pickens came. So Slim Pickens comes in and doesn't know it's a comedy. And to be honest, he's kind of silly, but he does seem to understand the gravity of the situation in a very earnest way. Yeah, some some of his lines are deliberately a little bit silly, but he he plays it as a straight man. Exactly. And that's and for a guy who's gonna be riding a bomb at the end of the movie, it's actually it's funny because it's we un, we totally get that that character would do that, but mm-hmm. at the same time, that character isn't funny like like it's right. he is funny but he's not funny like i don't really know how to differentiate this but do, do you get what i mean yeah I, I think i do yeah whereas george c scott i think is funny but george c scott didn't know that at the time yeah yeah um george c scott like what you were saying tim you don't think he's really like in on it like you don't think he's in on the joke but yeah like he's 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 not self-aware there's there's no you know sort of poking at the fourth wall you know never mind breakage here it's mm-hmm. he's you know a hundred percent genuine but he's a he's kind of over the top and a little, yeah, it's, little, yeah. little bit silly See, like i think he knows he's in a comedy is the thing 
Um, but I think he didn't want to play the character that way at first. Um, so apparently what Kubrick did was he would have him do practice takes and be like, okay, I want you to start this at like 10, be over the top. And then they were kind of go down as, as takes went by and he never used the more serious takes. He only used the, <laughs> and this, this caused him to not want to work with Kubrick again, which I understand. Yeah. Apparently can't, app- can't blame him, but yeah, but it worked. Uh, supposedly. And this is another thing I can't totally corroborate. Apparently this I think was from James Earl Jones. He said that George C. Scott and Kubrick would get into chess matches to make decisions on how certain scenes would go. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really know if that actually happened, but it's interesting if it did. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's it's funny for a movie called Doctor Strangelove. We have very little of Doctor Strangelove. He doesn't show up until 51 minutes of the movie. And yeah, the, the movie is nearly two thirds over at this point. Right. And, and- just under a third, we get the second Peter Sellers as, you know, president, uh, as the president, whose first mm-hmm. name is Merkin. Um, so someone with the name of Merkin and having a bald head is really funny to me, but that was kind of the point. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I paid, I paid more attention to the names this time. I, I didn't really, like, I, I, you know, back Guano, I found funny and I found Jack D. Ripper funny, but then, like, mm-hmm. the other names, like, you know, you know, Kiss Off and stuff like that was funny yeah. to me this time. Yeah. Yeah. So like, what is, so what's something that works for you the most here? So I, I think the thing that works the most for me is sort of the earnestness of, mm-hmm. of all the characters, you know, like pretty much each character is sort of the hero of the story in their own mind. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, definitely true of, of, uh, you know, the base commander, general Ripper. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. And also, as, as, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. But and, as as uh, as President Peter Sellers says, it's like he's gone a little funny in the head, and it's, mm-hmm. and it's, clearly this man is a psychotic. Yeah, well, I, 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 wait yeah. until the facts are in. Yeah, right, um, right. Yeah. Well, no, ha- having already had a couple of scenes with him, it is readily apparent this guy's off his nut. Mm-hmm. Yes, so maybe fluoride was a personality stabilizer for him. I don't know. Who knows? Um, who knows? Or maybe that's just what rainwater and grain alcohol does to you after a while. Yeah, um, yeah. I love Sterling. don't try that at home kids yeah no um but yeah I love Sterling Hayden I love like I don't know I'm like a kind of he's a he's in a lot of film noir stuff like like I said before he's in the killing and he's super good in the killing but you know he's also the he's the guy Michael has to shoot in the godfather so mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. I'm I'm a big fan of him he is you know one of the funnier parts of this movie to me because he is kind of a serious actor Mm-hmm. Um, in most things so it's fun to see he's him playing it totally serious and and then the most absurd things come out of his mouth like fruit mm-hmm. yeah no and i think he knows like i do think he's in on the joke like i think like yeah, that like the, I, the actor clearly yeah. knows and yeah. and the the character as as we've said is you know off balance here so it's yeah okay mm-hmm. yeah absolutely no he's he's very very effective very effective like another thing like things that i think really work here is that the the satire of this is really interesting because unlike other movies that tackle this kind of situation it's kind of show it's showing the absurdity of the situation but it isn't like the characters are stupid 100 percent. like they're well, yeah yeah and that's that's something else i i wanted to address mm-hmm. is yeah is that, so most of the characters are you know relatively rational intelligent people we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're shown and, and led to believe but at the same time most of them can't really seem to see further than the end of their own nose can't see the forest for the trees yep. kind of thing it's like oh well well this is happening so we should do this the, the world's about to end guys and and you're you're talking about 
what exactly? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and oh, we did mention one. We forgot to mention one important problem to the plot um, is so Russia has developed this doomsday device that if you attack Russia, will cause the whole world to th- this phrase is not used, but it's like you know, mutually assured dis- destruction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It's not really hinted at, like it's not really talked about, but that is basically what happens in this situation. It's like if you take out Russia, you take out everywhere. Um, and they were going to, and Russia was going to announce this next week, but yeah, in, here in, we are, you know, like a couple of days later. Yep. Here we are. So, oh, well, um, but yeah, so like the things, like another thing that I think is interesting how this works. And I found uh, the first time I kind of came on to this idea was listening to an episode of pure cinema, the pure cinema podcast that happened to have Quentin Tarantino on at the time. And he talked about how in psycho when Norman Bates, is trying to sink Miriam's car. And there's like a moment where the car doesn't sink for a second. Mm-hmm. And we as an audience kind of freak out. We want the car to sink. We want we want the guy to get away with his crime in this situation. We want the, the bad guy who's clearly implicated in this crime with uh, Marion Crane's death. We want him to get away with it in that moment. And we have so many moments like that in this movie. Like, because the way we've been, you know, the way we've been uh, calibrated as audiences we want the guys in the bomber to succeed. Like we want the yeah. soldiers, we want the army guys to to get it done. Like we yeah. want them to do the thing, but if they get it done, we're all dead. And so like when that, when that missile hits or, well, it doesn't quite hit them. It kind of like, I guess it detonates above them or near them or something and fries all their equipment. We're yeah. like, we're like, Oh no. But they, Oh good. They got out. Oh wait, they got out. No. Like, right. Like, there's right. so much of that in this movie. And I think that's, that's why it's so brilliant. Yeah, have to agree. You're you're totally invested in the bomber crew after not very much time with them because you know, they, you know, in in the context of the plot, have every reason to believe that they are doing the right thing mm-hmm. that they've been trained to do based on on what little they know and have been able to confirm. Things have gone badly, and this is this is what you do in that instance. And, but mm-hmm. guess what? Yeah, it's it's bad for everybody when they win. It's. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, there's there's also just a bunch of other little fun little things like when there's the fight at the Air Force Base, they have that big billboard that says pieces are profession. Yeah, and lots, lots of those. All lots over of the stuff place. like that. Signs yeah. that say keep off the grass. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was really like there's just fun little things that are, you know, if you if you miss it, it's not going to hurt the movie, but it definitely enhances the movie. Yeah. 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 So like, I don't have a whole lot that doesn't work for me yeah like uh there's the the for the most like just about everything in it i like the thing i find myself i found myself loving so much this time was the phone calls with dimitri and just like the bob newhart of all of that and yeah yeah yeah. it's 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 a weird thing you know the 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 one-sided phone call Mm -hmm. which you can do you know on on film or stage and Mm -hmm. so we, we we've got you know balding president merkin peter sellers here doing the one-sided phone call, acting like the drunken and possibly, you know, unclothed Russian premier yeah. on the other end is. Yeah. I'm sorry. Know. I don't talk to you all the time, Dimitri. Like, yeah. Of course, like, this is a friendly call. I yeah. like to call and say hello. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I know. And that's the sad thing is, is like, in, you know, if only we had more presidents that calm and collected in a in a in a bad situation and and Uh, and you can see him start to lose his grip more than once over the course of this and and multiple phone calls as the film goes on yeah yeah there's he's he's on the edge there yeah the the best face acting is that sellers gives is in this character 
yeah um, yeah yeah which is saying something you know yeah. given yeah. the work he does in the couple of scenes with dr strangelove right and so dr strangelove is this former nazi scientist who we brought over for whatever he used to have a much more complicated german name but when he became american he got a different name yep. he got the name strangelove and yeah, he, I guess, has phantom limb syndrome or, well, not fan, no, phantom limb is when you don't have it. He has, well, what is this called? Like alien limb syndrome yeah, I, or something? I, I don't know the, the technical term, but I, I have heard of this. Basically, his, uh, his right arm in particular seems to have a mind of its own that is still loyal to the fallen Third Reich. And it's, uh, it, it is funny. It's, 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 it's very funny. It's one of very, very few contexts in, in which the, uh, the Nazi salute can be humorous. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, uh, the arm tries to strangle its owner at a, yep. at, at one point and he and, bites it. Yeah. Like it's... him biting his own hand is a thing that like I seventh grade me thought was absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was very, very silly. That and it, current I, grade I, yeah. me also found it really funny too. But... Yeah. I, I laughed more at it the first time than I, mm-hmm. than I did now. I'm, you know, at, at this point it's, it's, it's been almost 60 years since this mm-hmm. film was released and yeah. you know, we're still kind of stuck on some of the things it's satirizing and it's that's that makes it a little bit harder to laugh at for me at this point no no i totally feel you the the thing i think about is like a movie like uh idiocracy which whenever that gets mentioned around me in passing i was like oh Mm -hmm. that movie used to be funny yeah yeah Yeah. i it, it had been on that one had been on my radar for a long long time to watch and uh, a few years back, I was like, I can't do this. I can't do yeah. this right now. And at some point decided, I don't think I need to watch this ever at this point. Yeah. It's like, yeah. and, and it's 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 really a shame because it's actually like a really good Mike Judge movie. Like it's like a super good, really funny movie, but it's not funny anymore. Um, yeah. 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 And somehow this stayed funny. Yeah, for the most it, part. It, well, I mean, like, it, yeah. it, it has. I mean, it's it's yeah. it, this was always a dark comedy and mm-hmm. and. You know, bits where certain characters are at times a little over the top, but right, yeah, mostly it's it's got that that kind of undercurrent undertones of this is serious business and and, right. and this is satire and mm-hmm. yeah, and so like yeah, do you have anything that doesn't really like work for you? No, other nothing, than, nothing in other, particular, other um, than the fact that it's sad that it's still relevant. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's 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 really the only thing. Um, and, well, that's not and, the movie's fault. Um, yeah, 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 like like modern relevancy and and not just as a you know piece of of film and culture history. Mm-hmm. Um, no, um, I wanted to remark something I I noticed this time that I had not before were some mm-hmm. very lovely matte paintings at the beginning of the film. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, it's like hey, that's pretty convincing. Hey, wait a minute, nothing's moving. That's a matte yep. painting. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, and the funny thing is like, that's the stuff that actually reminded me of 2001. A little bit. Yeah. 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 Like that, that felt like, uh, his rough draft for things he would, he would get better at in, in 2001. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah. yeah some of the, the, uh, composite model shots of the bomber. Mm-hmm. It's okay. That, that looks really primitive, you know, now, but it's, it's effective in the context of the film and, and you can see where he refined that and it, it helps that, Hey, if you're, you know, not like right next to earth. You know, if you're you're in in the void of space, you're not going to actually see a lot of stars. So there's there's black. So the, the model work in 2001, for instance, mm-hmm. looks a lot better. Yep. And and the fun and the fun thing about this is like this isn't on purpose. But if 
if the fakery of the bomber in this kind of gives you another chuckle, that's a bonus laugh, I think. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I don't think it hurts the movie. Like, I think it just makes it also kind of, it's like an airplane, like, you know, the airplane, like, it's kind of looking stupid on purpose in that. Yeah, but yeah, it's whether intentional or not, it's a little bit of a reminder of the, the artifice of the film. Of the whole thing. And I kind of think we need the artifice to a certain extent. Otherwise, oh, yeah, this, certainly. Yeah. Otherwise, this would have been a little too much. Um, just imagine if this was serious. Like, oh, it's like the like I I love the fact that like Kubrick saw like this very serious thing and thought like I need to make this funny. A man who's not known for being funny. Like this is the thing. Stanley Kubrick is I wouldn't mm-hmm. call him humorless. But you don't think of Stanley Kubrick as being a funny guy. And no. he had the like the foresight to be like, oh, this needs to be a satire. And that's what he made. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Um, so what do we think? What do we think is like the general message of this movie? So the, the general message here is still very much as it has always been, you know, mutually assured destruction, nuclear war leads to basically an apocalypse. Nobody wins. Mm. Don't don't do it. And you know the if we're if we're not paying attention, we're gonna get stuck looking at the ends of our noses. At okay, that's that's a concern, but you're missing the big picture, which is we're all gonna freaking die. Yeah, I think uh, I think that this is this is definitely a big part of the message. But I I, I like that. Yeah, but I also think there's this other added thing about like, and we trust these people to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, like maybe we shouldn't be. Um, like I think there's a lot of him being like. Is this what is are these the people we want to run the world? Like mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. I don't know if this is like I don't know how much you think because a lot of his movies don't have a lot of women in general, but I do think there's something kind of telling about the fact that we only have one woman in this movie. Um and, and I she's, think she's only in the one scene and she is very much a trope. Yeah, exactly. Um she has one phone call with him later, but that's that's it. And well, yeah, but we we don't even hear her voice. It's another one of those one-sided phone calls. And mm-hmm. right. And I and I can't help but feel like there is like you're expecting a bunch, a room full of white guys to solve this problem when it's a room full of white guys that got us in this situation in the first place. Yep. Um yep. and so like I think I'd like to think that Kubrick had that kind of foresight to think that because, or at least he thought that about Americans. That's, that's for sure. Because like he lit, like this, this was made in, in this was made in England. Like this mm-hmm. movie, this is the the beginning of his like expatriate time um, after, because he basically becomes British after this. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he, it kind of already started with Lolita, but this kind of solidified it, solidified it. So yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And it's, 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 it's not unique to the Americans. I mean, we, no. we see, you know, the, the Russian ambassador is in mm-hmm. the middle of all of this, you know, with, with full knowledge, even more knowledge of the, the gravity of the situation, because he knows about the doomsday machine before, mm-hmm. you know, the rest of the, the people in the room do. He's, he's taken photos of things with, with, you know, weird little spy cameras. And it's, what are you even doing right now? Mm-hmm. Focus on the problem. Mm-hmm. And, and and to that guy's credit, it sounds like he was not on Team Doomsday Device. Um, it, it, it 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 does, and and yeah. he he has some of the neat little dry one liners. It's like you, yeah. you you know how the premier loves a surprise when when he says mm-hmm. we, we were about to announce it. And it's... <laughs> Many of us were not on bar uh, not on board with this. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Um, and what's the 
Like uh, we don't have Havana. Yeah, we don't have Cuban. We have Jamaican, Jamaican cigars. cigars. Yeah, like I don't smoke. Imper- I don't smoke cigars from imperialist stooges. Like oh, only communist stooges. stooges huh? Right. Yeah. 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 Little, little things like that, and it's yeah. Oh, and 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 the the doomsday machine was cheaper than all the money they were spending on other defense measures. So it's like, let's do this. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Wow. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think if there's anything that this is. Like unlike later movies that we're going to talk about, like I can't think of anything that you know this movie is kind of going off of. Like I mean, I guess there's some goon show stuff with Peter Sellers, mm-hmm. um, and to a certain extent, some of the Lolita stuff. But I can't think of anything that preceded this that this is influencing too much, except for like you know war movies um, before. Like yeah. like this this movie is so the the thing about Kubrick is is so many of his movies are kind of singular like the he doesn't do the same genre twice in a lot of ways um with the exception of maybe science fiction and that kind of is how you depends on how you feel about a clockwork orange yeah um there's 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 room for discussion on that point like i guess there's passive glory and full metal jacket are both war movies but they're both very different war movies so yeah it's kind of he doesn't really make movies that the only thing that i can really see that you that you know is the actors he uses again and like is you know Sterling Hayden and and Peter Sellers and I don't really know of any other like so so like uh, I don't really have any other like big influences that I see and do you see anything no although I I uh I did wonder about the timing and I I have not looked this up beforehand so it, mm-hmm. my bad there folks um mm-hmm. uh another George C Scott movie Patton yeah yeah um so that would have been I think that's 1970 uh, so that would have yeah, been just and I, the... I, I think you're right. So it's um, yeah, there there are definitely some some similarities between the character of of General Patton in that film and General mm-hmm. Turgidson here, right? And, but yeah, that probably wasn't really specifically intentional because of the the timing of the movies and right citation and influence and stuff like that. Like I do see this movie being a pretty important thing when it comes to satire and other, mm-hmm. you know, other Cold War comedies would also kind of lean on this to a certain extent as well. Although a lot of those have more to do with the politics of it and less about the we're all going to die of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Influence this this had on me um, in inspired as a as a joke, the notion of opening a uh, a chain of companion themed restaurants for fatalists. Ooh, one being steaks and barbecue and the like, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, called "We'll Meet Again." Nice, nice. I like that. I like that. M E A T. And uh, for our vegetarian companions, all is tossed. <laughs> uh, that's not funny, but it's funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, personal influence on me. Um, I uh, have been to several museums where there have been, you know, replicas or shells of, you know, various atomic bombs. And in two different museums, when no one was around, I totally rode the little boys. Uh, fat men are a little too big. To, uh, yeah. To, to get on. Yeah. Um, somewhere there's a picture of me borrowing a friend's hat to do it at the Smithsonian. But um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't know where it is and uh there's probably uh, don't do that um there's <laughs> there's probably better security now than there was in the 90s um, yeah, yeah yeah good thing too yeah good thing too survival kit contents check in them you'll find 145 caliber automatic two boxes of ammunition four days concentrated emergency rations 
one drug issue containing antibiotics, morphine, vitamin pills, pep pills, sleeping pills, tranquilizer pills, one miniature combination Russian phrase book and Bible, $100 in rubles, $100 in gold, nine packs of chewing gum, one issue of prophylactics, three lipsticks, three pair of nylon stockings. Shoot, a fella could have a pretty good weekend in Vegas with all that stuff. Talking about the legacy of this, I was thinking about movies that that, that do this kind of thing, but didn't do it as well. And the first movie that popped in my head about this was Don't Look Up. Yeah. And, yeah. and so here's my question is how does, what does this do right that Don't Look Up does wrong? For one thing, this has a much tighter focus. It's a much shorter runtime, never really drags, isn't yep. too self-aware, isn't really preachy it knows mm-hmm. what it is isn't trying to be anything more or less mm-hmm. it's it's dark but also funny in parts and it's you know, don't look up is um very self-important yes i think yeah i think that, that might be it this is not like because the thing i said was like i didn't disagree with what the movie was saying i just didn't like the way it was being said yeah and i think it is that self-importance that's part of the thing um i also think the fact that really it's only three actors we recognize I think that that's, you know, George C. Scott, Peter Sellers, and Sterling Hayden. Like, I think the fact that it's... Slim Pickens. Oh, yeah, Slim Pickens, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's in things, yeah. Um, So, like, but it's not, like, a big star-studded ensemble thing, like, like that was. Yeah. Um, So, it kind of adds to the gravity of it. And also, I think the absurdity of this knows where to stop. Um, Because... This movie originally was going to have a pie fight in the war room. Like, I think it just would have been another scene before the end of the world. And there was, um, and so like everyone gets in a pie fight and that got cut. The primary reason why it got cut was because it was seen as too farcical for the movie they were making. And, and I agree. Like, I think that would have been just like, it would have not hundred percent. We got the scene where Guano gets the Coca-Cola to the face and that's yeah. kind of enough. Like, like in that but, one yeah. instance. It, and, and that's very brief and it comes right at the end of the film. And ev- even with the you know, humorous satirical bits in, in this film that comes out of nowhere, that's yeah. unexpected. Mm-hmm. So that plays, but I, I have to agree, you know, a, a full on pie fight in the war room would have been too much and would have, you know, recolored the entire piece. Especially if it was, because it would have been at the end. Like, you would have been leaving the movie with that fresh in your head. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't think, I don't think that would have worked. Um, no. No. And, well, and part of the other reason why they cut it was because there was a line where uh, the president gets a pie of the face and someone says, the president has been struck down in his prime. And remember, when I said this movie came out, this movie came out in January of 1964. 64. Which is just months after Kennedy was shot. So, yep, that was taken out. Um, supposedly also the line where Slim Pickens talks about the big pile of stuff they have in their, I don't, I don't really know what to call it. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, emergency survival kits. Yeah. Their emergency survival kits. Um, he says a line that, you know, a guy would have a great, a great time, shoot, a guy would have a great time in Vegas with all that stuff. stuff, Yeah. Apparently originally the line was, was Dallas. So, and not Vegas. And supposedly if you saw the movie in France, with the French subtitles, but the English su- soundtrack, he still said Dallas. Apparently, apparently, I have no way of like <laughs> backing that up. But hmm, yeah, another yeah, thing, yeah, that that might be out there somewhere. It might be, yeah. 
um, in some French person's basement. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so yeah, I guess uh, when it comes to grades um, to me, like this is a pretty solid a, um, I can't think of any better cold war black comedies than this um, just comedies in general. Um, it's always it's really funny. It's still funny. It doesn't have, you know, unlike a lot of comedies, it doesn't have things that make me go like movies from the eighties, like eighties comedies usually do. So, yeah, yeah, know. no, I, uh, I'm, I'm right with you there. This is a movie that, um, you know, it, it certainly sticks with you. It's, it's very, very memorable. There's nothing really in it that, that doesn't work. I mean, there, there are things that's like, okay, they, they probably, you know, shaved a, a little bit off the the budget here by doing this instead of something else but it doesn't really stand out it doesn't hurt the movie and it's just you know something i happen to notice on on this viewing mm-hmm. and you know it's it's fine mm-hmm. so yeah i'm i'm there with you you know, just flat a yep flat a yep i think it's uh essential to for anyone getting into comedy writing this is an essential film yeah yeah yep all right, so that is our first episode of Atomic Summer. We will also be doing, you know, new movies. I mean, this is the summer. There are summer movies that are coming out that Tim and I are planning on reviewing as well. Yep. But for our next entry in our fun little series here, we are going to have an Atomic Matinee double feature matinee at the movies. So I made a thing of programming um, to mimic a like Saturday afternoon at the movies in the time of the atomic age basically so it's like i don't know it's 1966 you're gonna go see a couple of movies although one of these movies is from 1993 so <laughs> yeah so okay so our, our atomic matinee starts with the original duck and cover short you can find this on the library of congress you can find it on youtube you can find it on archives this is really easy to find just type in duck and cover this is your animated short for our programming we'll uh, we'll add the link yeah, I'll add the link. That one I can just put it. Uh, the and then usually in this kind of programming, programming you got a serial like you got like a Flash Gordon short or you got something like that. And so you're getting an unethical one for this. So an unethical serial for this means you're going to watch episode eight of Twin Peaks: The Return, and you're going to watch. You're going to start watching it about the 16 minute 20 second area, basically after the Nine Inch Nails because for some reason they're referred to as the Nine Inch Nails in that episode. After they're done performing, you're going to watch the rest of the episode and it start like basically when you get to the text that says white sands new mexico that's when you start the show if you haven't seen any twin peaks it's going to be fine (laughs) it's going to be weird but it's not gonna it's not gonna spoil anything yep it's not it's gonna be fine uh that you can find on paramount plus i believe i think you can also get it on prime um that is episode eight of return of twin peaks the return and then we're gonna go into our first feature which is them from 1954 the big ant movie you want the big ant movie not the french home invasion movie yeah yeah completely different thing yes called eels um but then and then our second feature and and actually between them you need uh, in between them we're gonna have the trailers of beasts from Twenty Thousand fathoms the japanese godzilla trailer the american one if you want to and the tarantula trailer and then into our final a picture matinee from joe dante in 1993 and so we got a big night or a big day at the movies for our next one so we'll have that up soon but for now that's our show thanks for listening everybody and we'll see you next time bye bye okay i'm gonna get your money for you 
But if you don't get the President of the United States on that phone, you know what's going to happen to you? What? You're going to have to answer to the Coca-Cola company.